0: most gracious heavenly father lord we thank you for this day we thank you for jesus we thank you that because of jesus we have the ability to come to you with confidence and boldness and trust that you will hear and answer us father we thank you for the precious holy spirit because he is our teacher and leads us into all truth we thank you that because of your written word that we have the ability between the written word and the the voice of the holy spirit to walk in revelation knowledge We thank you that we are not just hearers of the word, but we are doers of the word and that as we hear the word, we are transformed by it. We have expectation this morning that as always, when we hear the word, we will be stretched and that instead of trying to water the word down to be more like us, that we will stretch ourselves to be more like the word. Father, we just thank you for transformation. We thank you for every family that's represented here. We thank you for every purpose that's represented here. We thank you for every dream that's represented here. We thank you that what you have put inside of us will not go to waste and that it will not um, live in us without producing great fruit. We thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, Pastor Edwin, he has been talking about love for the past couple of weeks. And how many of you have been challenged in your love walk? And so, he always tells us when we leave, he says, hey, whenever you leave, you can rest assured that when you leave that you're going to have a challenge in your love walk. How many of you have had some challenges in your love walk? What the Bible says this. It says that anytime you hear the word, the enemy comes to get that word. So the, when you hear a word about healing, the enemy comes to attack your body. When you hear a word about walking in love, then everybody gets on your nerves. The goal is for you to be perfected. In your love walk and what happens is is that when you begin to hear about love you begin to see how much your love either aligns with God or it doesn't align with God how many know we still got some work to do Amen. amen amen and you know but praise God the Bible says that he will perfect that which concerns us which means that God doesn't leave us to walk out our love walk by ourselves praise the Lord. He helps us as we submit to being helped. Tell your neighbor, say, you got to let the Lord help you. I'll give you a great example. Have you ever been in a situation with somebody where you're about to say something and something tells you not to say it? Yes, if you've ever done that, raise your hand. Something tells you not to say it. Yes, that something is the Holy Spirit who is your teacher who has come to say what you want to say you either should not say or you should not say now or you should not say it the way that you intended to say it. How many of you have ever heard that little something but you said something anyway? Go ahead and raise your hands. Mm -hmm. how many of you after you said something needed more help from Jesus than before you started (laughs) so if we will allow God to partner with us in our daily lives then he will tell us what to say and how to live and what to do in advance and we don't need so much help on the back end amen so, we've been talking about love, and so um, I am going to take it just, I'm going to stretch our direction just a little bit. Um, Pastor Elwin had us make a confession about favor, and I was thinking about this, um, about how, have you ever been somebody's favorite? Like, somebody, and you know, um, in my family, everybody thought I was my grandmother's favorite. It was probably true. I could obeyed better than they did that that makes I mean the truth of it is is that your kid that's most obedient gets more stuff not because you love them more just because they just make it easier to do stuff for them right and so but I can remember that I would use my favor to give my cousins the advantage so I was thinking about how when we were making this confession about favor that favor is never just for us that Jesus uses His favor with the Father to give us the advantage. That's why Jesus, we get, we are seen through the Father's eye, through Jesus' eyes. Does that make sense? Because if Jesus had, if God had to deal with us based on who we were, it'd be sad. But instead, He deals with us based on who Jesus is. So we get Jesus' favor. And so, as we're talking about love, I want you to be thinking about as we talk about favor and increase and promotion. Are you prepared to use those things on behalf of somebody else, or are they just for you? Is your promotion just so that your family can live better? Is your favor just for you? Is your whatever, is it it's just for you? Because if it is, I'm going to show you today that that's just a little bit out of a line with the intention of God, like that we should be, yes, there's nothing wrong with us being blessed. Tell your neighbor, say, there's nothing wrong with you being blessed. But the blessing isn't just for you. yeah the the blessing isn't just for you (laughs) it's not just for you and so um so I want to talk to you this morning about God love and social justice what we need to know and what we need to do God love and social justice what we need to know and what we need to do and I want to really talk to you from this perspective that I am not talking to you saying that I know all the answers I really am talking to you from the perspective to say, if we begin to have some biblical dialogue and if we begin to talk to the Lord and if we begin to talk to each other, then will we find that maybe there are some changes we need to make? Will we find that there may be some different actions that we need to take? What do we need to do individually and then what do we need to do collectively as a local part of the body and as a part of the global part of the body of Christ? Does that make sense? So, so my objective this morning is to demonstrate that social justice is a mandate of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and a fundamental expression of Christian discipleship and to encourage us to act consistently. I'm going to say that again. My objective this morning is to demonstrate that social justice is a mandate of our faith. Really what I'm saying is that as a believer, you cannot be silent in injustice and that it is a fundamental expression of Christian discipleship. And to encourage us to act consistently, to be on the lookout for opportunities to respond. Does that make sense? So the biblical word justice means to make right. And so we, in English language, we have um, the word righteousness, and we have the word justice. But in the Hebrew, they basically come from the same root word. They are the same word. And in many languages like French and a couple of other languages, they actually translate as the same word. So basically this concept of us being righteous means that we are just with God. In fact, Romans talks about that. It says that we have been justified, that through Jesus we have been made right. So the words righteousness and justice, they are interchangeable words. And basically, it is our righteousness in God that causes us to pursue righteousness on behalf of others. It is the fact that we have been justified in God that causes us to seek justice for other people. Does that make sense? And so we need to understand because sometimes I think that what happens is that we read scriptures in the Bible and then we don't make a practical application of them. We're like, oh, it means I'm righteous. Well, what does that exactly mean? It means that I have right standing with God, so now I can go to God and ask God for favor to resolve a situation that may not have anything to do with me. Mm. Because sometimes when we're praying, if we're honest, we're just praying about us. God, I need a new job. God, we need, we need to get out of debt. God, I need more people in my church. God, I need more clients in my business. And we're not ever thinking to say, hey, God, how can we use this favor and this righteousness we have in you to help people who have even less than we have? How many of you know that for whatever little you think you have, if you look around, you can find somebody in a worse situation? But sometimes we can get so focused on what we don't have that we miss the opportunity to be a blessing to somebody else. And so we can look at a problem when we go, oh, this is so big. Well, we can't feed all of the hungry people in the world, but can we each feed one? Because for the one we feed, do you think that makes a difference? I mean, like, if you're the hungry person, do you want us to say, since we can't feed everybody, we not go feed anybody? Or are you like, since you see me and I'm hungry, can you do something about it, right? What does this have to do with love? Well, let's start with Matthew 22:37 37 through 40, because these are the scriptures that Pastor Edwin has had us look at. It says, and Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart and all of thy soul and all thy mind. Basically, it means you should love God with everything you are. Basically, it means that you, if, as a Christian, you should not have any secularness to you. Meaning you shouldn't be a good God lover on Sunday morning. And then if we went and talked to the people at your job, we don't, don't nobody know you love Jesus. And, and I'm, I don't mean because you got like banners and stuff up. I mean that in your demonstration of living, people should know that you love Jesus. Amen? Like if you never say a word, if they didn't know Jesus, there should be something distinctively different about how you engage with others because of how you love God. So then he says, this is the first and the great commandment. So what's first? Love the Lord your God God with everything that you have. But here's the thing. God doesn't even ask us to love him out of ourselves because God gave his love to us first said this is what love looks like. It says the love of God has been shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. So the Lord isn't even asking us to conjure up our own love to love him with. He put love in us and said, now just give back what I gave you. It's a lot like this. If you're a parent and you give your kids money for Christmas, they're going to take the money that you gave them to buy you a present. It didn't come independent of you. But what you expect is that they would take it I mean, if you gave your kids a hundred dollars and you said, "Go buy your dad or your mom a present." And they came back with a 74-cent candy bar from Walmart and three shirts for themselves. I mean, you would probably say stuff like, "That's selfish." Some of y'all would say that's trifling. That's trifling. Some of you that was trifling. I would say you need to take that back because you can't sleep here tonight if that's all you got for your daddy. My point to you is, is that when we give to our kids, we expect them to give back in a measure that matches what was given to them. So when God gives us love, he expects us to respond to him from the love that was demonstrated. So then he says, This is the first and great commandment. Now let's go to the next verse. He says, And the second one is like unto it thou shalt love your neighbor as you love yourself. Thou shalt love your neighbor as you love yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Basically, he says this. He says, if you take the word of God, every single thing in the word of God, and you don't hang it on loving God and loving people, you're going to end up religious. You go misinterpret what God is saying. He says that if you try to talk about repentance and you don't hang it on loving God and loving people, you're going to put people in bondage. If you try to talk about freedom and you don't hang it on loving God and loving, Loving, um, p- people as yourself, then you're going to end up doing anything justifying it, talking about grace. He says everything in the Bible must be hung on these two things, loving God and loving people as you love yourself. Now, in the first couple of weeks of the love lessons, we talked a lot about individual love like this. I'm going to love you even if you talk crazy to me. We talked about that. I'm going to forgive you even if you don't ask for forgiveness. We talked about that. We went to 1 Corinthians and we talked about how love is patient and love is kind and love doesn't keep record of wrong and we all said ouch and we had to erase some stuff in our minds and all of that stuff. But I want you to understand that that's just one level of loving your neighbor as you love yourself. The next level is to say that even when people don't look like you, that you are willing to fight for rights for them that they can't fight for for themselves. In fact, if you study the scripture, you will find that Jesus and Jesus and the prophets say this, take care of the widow, take care of the oppressed, take care of the immigrant, take care of the people who don't have a voice. What I'm trying to get you to connect to is that your love walk is much bigger than you not getting upset because your cashier threw your change. Your love walk is much bigger than that. Your love walk is a call to do justice for the people who don't have ability to do justice for themselves, which literally means this. We should not have to wait until somebody we know has been perfect, personally has been sex trafficking for us to say sex trafficking is wrong. What can we do to fix it? We shouldn't have to wait till somebody in our church is hungry to say that if people in Northwest Arkansas are hungry, what can we do about it? We should not have to personally know people who have been impacted by something before our love to stand up and just say, this isn't right. This isn't right. And so God cares about social justice. Does this make sense to you guys? Justice means loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, and that love is rooted in the nature of God. When God saw us oppressed, what did he do? The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So when God saw that we were in a situation that we could not free ourselves from, he got involved. Let me ask you something. Do you think the cross may have been a tad bit uncomfortable? Because I know that sometimes when we're talking about getting involved, we look at our comfort level. Is, do you think that just maybe like this whole concept of being pierced in your side just may have been a tad painful? It may have hurt, right? God has never asked you to go to the cross. But, he, but the cross doesn't free you from ever being uncomfortable. So he's never asked you to be crucified because that's been taken care of. But he never said that in this life as a believer that you are free from the responsibility to ever be uncomfortable because standing up, stepping out, and giving something cost you more than you intended to give. And if we weigh whatever God asks us to do for others in relationship to the cross, it'll always be easy to do. Sometimes we're like, well, they didn't do. No, 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 that's not the standard. And see, sometimes see, sometimes that, that's the reason our personal love walk has challenges because what we say is, well, I don't curse like I used to curse. But the standard isn't how you used to curse, it's whether Jesus cursed. No, <laughs> <laughs> right. no, no, I mean, because I want us to understand this. And so what happens is, is that if our standard is what we used to be, then we don't always feel like it's necessary to step up. Well, I didn't used to give as much as I give now. You didn't make as much as you made now. So what's your standard? What's your level for living? Is your level for living, it should be, here is the standard Jesus has modeled for me. I'm not now doing this because I'm obligated. I'm doing it because it's the least that I can do. If you were oppressed, if you're oppressed, do you want somebody to come help you? I, and let, let's just make it simple. Let's just say you get locked in that room over there. There's the, it's locked from the outside we can all hear you banging on the door. Would you like us to say, what well, they got in there, they can figure it out the best way they know how. Let's say that this is your third time locking yourself in there because you keep forgetting that the door locks behind you. Even though we may be a little concerned that you don't pay attention to detail, do you want us to leave you there to teach you a lesson? How long? The whole service? Till tomorrow, you want to just tell people, don't worry about them. They got it. They'll work their way out. And so sometimes our perspective is that we get so busy, consumed on ourselves, we don't even realize someone is knocking on the door to be let out. You're so consumed with your own. You're like, that's not my problem. You're like, well, I, 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 don't, I got two kids. I can't do nothing with this. this. It's a kid on my street, always at my house for some food. Maybe they're hungry. Is it inconvenient to have other people's kids at your house all the time? Yes. Is it worse for them to be on the street doing anything because they don't have a safe place to go? I'm talking about how to live the gospel out loud. I'm I'm, 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 I'm talking about like, I'm talking about like, because it, listen here, it is easy to be a good Christian for these 90 minutes or two hours that we see each other. The measure of what this thing is really like is when you are a parent of five children and there are additional kids showing up at your house every day and you buy groceries on Monday and on Wednesday it looks like you guys never had any food and you can count the money or you can count the difference. And the challenge is is that most of us count the money. We count the time and we don't count the difference think about in your own life what if has anybody ever been helped by anybody you've been helped by somebody let me see you raise your hand what if they had been too busy what if you had been too much of an inconvenience because I know you saved and live right now but you know you used to be crazy right no, no. See, y'all trying to play me. Y'all trying to talk off. Look, at this. You know you used to be crazy. And some of you, just by the, just day by day, you, keep, the Lord is keeping you. You know that every time you went and talked about a problem, people didn't really want to hear what you had to say. You know that every time that you had that problem in your marriage, that you had been given instruction about, that you still wouldn't take. People didn't want to talk to you again. But what if people had said? I ain't got time. That's not my problem. Figure it out. And I think we have to be careful as we're living out this love that we make sure that we are still expressing God. Yes, we want to be promoted, and yes, we want to have favor, and yes, we want to have bigger and better homes. But let me ask you something. If God gives you a bigger and better home, and then he asks you to let somebody come live with you, and you can't do that, is that really an expression of the gospel? Oh, they can't live with me? Mm -mm. but 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 you testified how the lord gave you the house so the lord gave you the house but he can't tell you who can stay in there with you oh okay all right let's look at proverbs 31 8 through 9 tell your neighbor say we have to do more than go to church amen we got to do more than go to church Let's look at Psalm 31, I mean, Proverbs 31, 8 through 9. In the New Living Translation, let's just read it together. Ready? Read. They up That's pretty simple. Doesn't it seem like God really cares about that? He says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, but it's not my business. But he didn't say only speak up if it was your business. He said, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And this is so funny because this is a challenge for a lot of men, and every wife probably knows what I'm going to say. Like, there'll be something that's happening, right? And you'll be like, you'll say to your husband, you'll be like, you should talk to so-and-so. And And he'll be like, I'm not getting in that man business. (laughs) But the Bible says speak up and to say something. The Bible doesn't say that we live in this world and we see craziness go on and we say that doesn't have anything to do with us. That's not the call that's on our life. Am I saying that you got to get involved in every single thing? Nope, that'll just make you a flat, busybody. I am saying that when there are issues of justice and there are opportunities that you have to help and the Holy Spirit is leading you or you just know you could be a blessing, that you cannot let your own discomfort about speaking up keep you silent. Amen? You know, the 50th year anniversary of the Civil Rights Act was the other day. I think it was Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday. What if those people, because I understand that black people weren't the only people who walked for civil rights. What, what if the white people had said, child ain't got nothing to do with me. What you got to vote, ain't, that ain't have nothing to do with me. But they didn't. There were people who put, I was reading an article the other day that they would, when they would go out and march, the reason that sometimes you didn't see the dogs turned on people is that because they would send the white women first because they were pretty sure they weren't going to turn the dogs on the white women. But you got to know that when the white women out there walking, looking at the dogs, they're not sure they're not going to turn them on them. But they're doing it because they believe in a cause that's bigger than themselves. So we have to speak up. Tell your neighbor, say, you got to say something. Not just about people. A lot of us are really good at talking about people. I don't know why she dressed that way. Buy her some clothes then. I don't know why that kid don't have their hair done. Make it happen then. Don't just sit back and throw stones at people and feel like you don't have any responsibility to help. Well, I can't afford to get somebody's hair done. Maybe you can't, but I bet you if we all put $5 in, I bet you we can get that little girl's hair done before she goes back to school. All right. Mm-hmm. Can tell it. Mm-hmm. So... Are you more inclined to get involved or not? Are you a, if you're a person who gets involved, raise your hand. Yeah. Tina got her hand like this. She like, hey, uh, maybe, sometimes, maybe, sometimes. So one of our favorite shows to watch is What Would You Do? How many of you watch What Would You Do? There is nothing that happens on what would you do that I wouldn't say something. Like, I'm always, like, I would be like, that is wrong. You do not have the right to talk to people like that. I am always, Pastor Edwin is like, oh, my God, please don't ever let that happen to us because you are going to get involved. You're going to get involved. And so are you a person, and, and think about it. If you watch, what would you do? Are you not sometimes stunned by the things that happen that nobody will say anything about? Well, it's easy to watch it on TV. But what about the things that happen that you don't say anything about? Mm, Yeah, it's easy to watch that little camera go, ooh, they really should say something. But what about when it's your opportunity to say something? We have to speak up. Obviously, led by the Spirit, we want to speak up. So I love that show. Um, And I just, I'm always in a situation somewhere. I'm just like, I just feel like the Lord let me see stuff because he want me to say something. I'm just like, he clearly wanted me to say something. I was in Maryland a couple of weeks ago, and there was this, um, this, this lady, a white lady, and she had adopted a little black girl, baby, a little Hispanic baby, and a little Asian baby. And the little black girl, she, um, her hair was in bad shape. And, and I could not figure out why all of these people could see that that little girl's hair was in bad shape and nobody would say anything. And I just kept thinking, she three now, but what happens when she goes to school? Because people are mean. So I waited for her to finish eating, and I followed her outside. And I said, hey, you don't know me. I don't know you, and you may think I'm way out of line. I said, but I was wondering if you would let me tell you what you could put in that baby's hair. And so she got a little attitude at first. Her mother was like, yes, ma'am, you can tell us. We need to know. We don't have a clue what to do with this baby's hair. You know, cause, 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 because here's the thing. The natural nature is that when someone comes and tries to talk to us, if someone tries to tell you something about your kids, you get in your feelings. We all do. I get in my feelings sometimes when everyone tries to talk to me about our kids. I'm like, well, I had these kids. I'm the one who carried them. Don't be giving me all that extra feedback. And then I have to realize that we're on the same team. Y'all trying to look at me, but you know you act funny too. you like, I know he didn't try to say nothing to me. You manage your own parenting. But... We need people to get involved and say something. And so I spent about 15 minutes talking to her about things she could do, how she did need to wash the baby's hair all the day, every time. And, and she, they, were, they just didn't know because you don't know what you didn't know. And I just kept thinking, if she just tries two of these things, Then maybe when this little girl is in first or second grade, nobody's making fun of her. And then when she's 14, she's not feeling like she has to give her body to somebody in order to be validated. And then when she's 18, she doesn't already have two kids. Maybe it would never be that big, but maybe it would be. So you don't always have to get involved in big, grandiose ways. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to walk in my job tomorrow and kick the desk over. You don't have to do all that. And the church does not have a bail fund yet, so I would not advise that you do that. And when we do have a bail fund, it will be for real justice stuff, not because you went to your job in that crazy, because you got to put all of that out there. Right, right, right. So who is your neighbor? Let's look at Luke 10, 25 through 37. Is this make sense to you? It's making sense. You know, each one reach one. Well, who is one family, one cause. I say all the time, everybody can't care about every cause. But everybody can care about some cause. And we can't, you, maybe you can't give your money. But you know, you should ask yourself this. Does our family even have some finances set aside to respond to things like that? If there, do we even, it, it is helping other people even important enough Even if it's not but $20, can we start with $20 that if we see somebody homeless or somebody needs school supplies or somebody needs something that we can give the $20? Because I bet you if we get faithful over the $20, then God will give us more opportunities to increase it. Is it even important enough to you to say, how can I help? What does it even take to help? So it says, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him and saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, what is written in the law? law? How readest thou? And I love it because in this one translation, it it says, what do you think it says? He says, you want to know about eternal life? What do you think it says? And um, go to the next verse, please. And he said, and he answered saying, thou shalt, what? We write back to Matthew 22. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart and all of thy soul and with all of thy strength and with all of thy mind and with all of thy, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Jesus said to the Lord, he says, you after this right, so do it and you shall live. Like, really, you'll have abundant life if you do this. But listen, have you ever had God say something to you and you like, yeah, that's a little more than I was really committed to. So let me go back here and let, let, let me see if I can't wiggle out of this way. And that, the, look, the people in the Bible, they just people. They do the same stuff that we do. So go go to the next verse. I like this. So then he says this. Um... But he wanted to justify himself. And so sometimes we want to justify what we're not doing, right? You ever want to justify what you're not doing? Well, you know, huh? Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you know you do. Uh, (laughs) It says, um, and who is my neighbor? So here's the question for you. Who is your neighbor? Who do, like, for real, like, I want you to answer. Who do you consider your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? Everybody's your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Huh? Huh? The people you come in contact with. Who are you? The truth. Some of your neighbors is just the people you like. Some people, some I say, yeah, I'm just gonna tell the truth. It's just the people I like. And my dear says, anybody that you come in contact with that, if you, if they need help and you can help them. Well, but in reality, we may know that, but we don't always respond to that. Like, let, I'm just going to ask you, have you ever seen the man side, sitting on the side of the street and you actually had some extra dollars that you could give and you stopped at the stop sign or the light and you ain't even look over there because you ain't even want to read his sign. But you had it, you just straight ahead. Your kids might be like, mama, that man homeless, shut up, be quiet. That man needs to get a job. I mean, but was that an opportunity that maybe just that $3 or that $5 could make a difference for somebody else? But, but, but wait, 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 wait. But I think that they hustlers. I think the people standing on the side of the street, I think they hustlers. I think they could just get a job. I mean, I got a job. If I got a job, why couldn't they have a job? So show me the scripture that says that it's your responsibility to determine whether somebody is a hustler before you help them. Where that becomes your determining factor. And it's so interesting because when we don't have money, we ask God for more. But when we do have money, we don't always ask him how to spend the money he gave us. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. When we, like, when we in lack, we like, Lord, we need you to come on through Jesus. We need you to send the latter rain and the former rain. You know, because we can get real spiritual when it's about money. We like, we done sow seed in the ground. We call him from the harvest, from the north, south, east, and west. We like, we, we are serious about it. But when we have money, do we ask God how we can use his money to impact others? I'm just trying to make us consciously aware. Are we even aware that we should ask? Lord, I love it. When Taylor first went to UMKC, it was so, well, we actually didn't stop her. Like, she lived really close to the, like, if you've been to UMKC, UMKC is very close to downtown and in the beginning she gave away almost all her money because she just felt bad for the people and then she started learning how to hear from God who she should give to but if we had said to her girl don't be giving your money away she had to learn how to hear from God in that space but let me tell you something you can get so tainted that you don't even ask God anymore. You can get so busy looking at the people who you think are tricksters and the people that you think are hustlers and the people that you think are getting out that you don't even ask God. You don't even consider it. And if we're going to love our neighbors like we love ourselves, all I'm asking you to consider is that, Here's what research tells us. Research tells us that there are 4 million people in poverty in the United States of America. And there are another one-third of the population that are the hovering poor. Hovering poor means this. It means one catastrophe and you in the poor group. So just even in your own life, how long could you make it if all the income you had dried up? But let's walk through it. How long could you make it if all of the income in your life dried up? But if all, let's say that you got three months before all your income dried up, right? In three months, you would still have a nice clothes you had. They wouldn't be raggedy. So what if you were asking for help because you've been looking for jobs and you've been doing everything and people go, girl, you don't need no help. You still got that knot. You still got your clothes. Like how raggedy do people have to be before we help them? And then when we're too, they're too raggedy, we don't want them close to us because we don't want the people who smell bad to come sit in church. So, so what's the standard that determines whether we help somebody? What exactly is the level of raggedy that's enough for us to get involved? Well, Chris looked like she fine to me. I mean, she wore some last week she didn't wear this week. But if she wear the same outfit for four weeks... Chris need to bathe. Like, what's wrong with her clothes? I mean, like, I'm trying to see. I'm, I'm asking us: Is our thinking like Jesus, or is our thinking like the world, and we don't even realize it? And the sad thing is that sometimes the world is more compassionate than the church. They took up money for Caesar the line. Another conversation the other day. <laughs> But I'm asking you, and so he says, and so Jesus said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded and departed and leaving him half dead. Go to the next verse. It says, and and by chance there came a certain priest by that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Here's the problem with judgment and self-righteousness. The Bible tells us that this man ended up in a ditch because he was robbed, right? But when he saw the man in the ditch, he didn't know why he was there. But wherever he was there, he wasn't moved with compassion. In fact, he did. Listen, you, you know, you've done that sometime. He just crossed the street. It, 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 it really is no different than when you could help somebody at the stop sign and you look the other way. You're just crossing the street. You're trying to time it. you like, don't let me get stuck at this light. Come on, come on. you like, go run the light to keep from there. I mean, it's the same concept, but this man is a priest. And it says, and likewise, a Levite, when he came, was at the place, he came and looked on him. He looked on him. So what he did was he went over there and he said, hmm. crossed on back and went back to the other side. How many times have you looked at somebody's situation and you could help. I'm not talking about when you can't help. And you went, hmm, all right. And you went on back to your regular life. Let's go to the next verse. We're almost done this morning. But there was a certain Samaritan, and here's the point of him being a Samaritan, that the Samaritan, considered by the Levite and the Jew and the priest, he was like, the Le- the Samaritan wasn't even good enough for God. Like, you don't even deserve for God to look at you. But the person who steps in is the person who is supposedly the person who doesn't know anything about God. And how many times do we see that, that you see somebody step up that's not even supposedly a Christian, but their generosity and their compassion and their kindness exceeds ours because we were too busy trying to judge whether we should help rather than just help it. It says, and he went to him. He says, and, and but a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and he set his own beast, set him up on his own beast, and brought him to an end and took care of him. Don't just read those words, think about what that says. It says that there was a man in a ditch, and he begins to use his resources and his time to help get the man out of the ditch. So now he has to get off of his beast in order to put the man on his beast he has to use his oil he has to use his wine and then he is going to take him to an end and when he gets to an end um he he takes him to the end and he takes care of him he makes sure that he's situated go to the next verse please and in the morrow when he departed so he stays with him even though it may not have been his necessary plan see here's the thing see you cannot be so you cannot be so focused on your life that you forget that people matter you cannot be so focused on whatever goal that you need to accomplish that you forget that people matter i get that you need to work out but if somebody calls you in crisis you need to delay your workout I I get that you got all this stuff you need to do, but sometimes you got to stop and rearrange your schedule or rearrange your time or rearrange your money to help somebody in the same way that you would want somebody to help you. Because typically this is how it looks like. There is a crisis that someone is in. Let's just say right now that we said, sister so-and-so is over here. Sister so-and-so is about to get evicted from her apartment, right? Right? The reality of it is, is that most people will give sister so-and-so the minimum they can afford. But if they were sister so-and-so, they want the maximum. I'm just trying to get you to think about it. I know you can't give to everything. I know that, I, I know that you're not independently wealthy, but what about what you do have? What, what if just sometimes you said to your kids, you know what, guys? This is how much for it, it costs for us to go out and have this day of fun. And instead of going out and having this day of fun, we're going to be a blessing to somebody. Because there are some people that we know, they don't even have food. In Northwest Arkansas, there are kids who only eat what they eat at school. Is anybody else stunned? Does that even make sense? So maybe just maybe when you're in the grocery store, maybe you could go in the grocery store and say, hey, I don't have a lot of money. But Lord, if there's somebody in this grocery store and they're not sure how they're going to pay for their food, could you put me in line behind that person? And maybe I, you know, maybe I have to put my cookies back, but I ain't really need them cookies no way, right, Jesus? Maybe you'll let me lose an extra couple pounds because I put my cookies back. And he says, and on the morrow he departed and he took out two pence and he gave them to the host. And he said unto him, take care of him and whatever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. He says, you take care of him until he can take care of himself and I'll be back and I'll fix the rest of it. But he's the man who's supposed to not know God. He's the man who's supposed to be so lost. And so it says, which now of these thinkest thou was the neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? Who was the neighbor? The heathen, supposedly, right? Go to the next verse. He said, and he, showed, he said, he that showed mercy on him. And Jesus said unto him, do what? Go and do likewise. So the Bible is clear that when we have an opportunity to show mercy to somebody, we should. Is it, is it uncomfortable? sometimes. Do you sometimes have to give away something you wanted to keep? Mhm. Does it sometimes mean that maybe instead of eating out at the nicest place, you got to downgrade the choice to be a blessing to somebody else? Mhm. Well, what do you think the reward is for that? How do you think that God feels about us? Have you ever seen your kids do an act of selflessness and it just does something in your heart when you see your kids take something That's their best toy or their best whatever. And they're a blessing to somebody else. Doesn't it get some pride in your heart? Like you're just like, yeah, that's what's up. I'll never forget. We used to do intensive foster care for this kid and we had bought him a new pair of tennis shoes. And, um, And I can't even tell you how hard it was to get money out of that organization to do what was right for those kids. But our thing was, is that if you were with us, you go have nice clothes and shoes and you go eat because we could control those three things. And we gave him a pair of shoes and he wore them for two days and he went to school and he traded with a friend who had worse shoes. And we were like, why did you do that? And he was like, well, I got to wear them for two days. And then I looked and saw his shoes, and his shoes were worse than mine. And I figured that it was better for me to wear raggedy shoes than for him. Like, that just did something to me. I'm like, wait, because, like, at that point, I I was like, like, I don't even understand. He was like 14. Can you imagine being 14, taking off your new shoes, giving them to somebody else? Not right. Wait, can you imagine being your age, taking off your new shoes, giving them to somebody else? And so it's like there are these opportunities all around us to be a blessing to people, and that is the display of God's love. Because if you're hungry, you don't want nobody to tell you to invite you to church unless your church got food. I mean, like you outside of Walmart time, I come to church with me. How about I'ma feed you? Come church with me. I get like that's the kind of stuff we like. You just because we say things that are religious, they're religious, but they don't make sense. I'm just happy with Jesus alone. No, you're not. You're not. You want you love Jesus, but you also it's gonna be a hundred degrees today. Who just want Jesus and no air? You'd be like, Jesus, be some air conditioning. Who, you know, I, I'm just happy with Jesus alone. No, that's not true because if you were, you wouldn't work. You just go live under bridge and wear whatever you wear. Like it's religious talk, but it's not real talk. It's like I love Jesus, but we need clothes. We love Jesus, but we can't fast every day. Right? And I'm, I'm just asking you to think about that when you're introducing Jesus to people, that you're introducing something practical to people. That you're a blessing to people. So, and then I'm going to ask you some questions and then we're done. So listen to this quote, um, a couple quotes. Um, it says, yes, we have dreams and goals, but we must be careful not to be so consumed with ourselves that we forget our call to help others. In fact, we must understand that any truly God-given dream will always include being a blessing to others. Any dream that God gives is never just for you. It's not just for other people, but it's not just for you. I'm not saying you got to give everything that you have away, but I'm asking you to ask yourself, does your family even have an allotment of what you will give away? Do you even have an allotment of like, you know, we want our church to be a blessing? Have you ever said, you know what, here's how much we're committed to give to our church each month? Here's how much we're committed to give to Habitat for Humanity. And it's funny because a lot of times the people in the church, they're like, why doesn't the church do more? The church doesn't do more because the people don't commit to do more. I'm not just talking about financial resources. I'm saying there are a bunch of programs we could do right now, but who's going to do them? Who are the volunteer hours in order to do them? Because if your kids are in activities every night and my kids are in activities every night, then who are the people who go man the programs? Liz came to me this morning. She said, hey, can we do voter registration? And I said, yes, we actually are. The, week of, the third week of September, we're going to do it because it's National Voter Registration Day. But do you know that even for something, that's voter registration day, somebody got to go get the forms, and somebody got to stand there and make sure that the forms get filled out? And then somebody got to make sure they get them turned in, because let's say we get 20 of them done, and then nobody turns them in. That didn't help. So for everything you do, what I'm trying to get you to see is that love is, love is a verb. And that sometimes when you come to a church, especially when that church is fellowship of champions, your winning can be about just winning for yourself. I'm going to get a promotion. I'm going to get my health back. I'm going to get my marriage back. But as you get those things, who are you going to help get something back as well? And so as we think about the things that we want to do and how we want this church to express itself, here's the reality. Sometimes we won't even invite people to church because it's uncomfortable. Well, If we have all these things we won't do because it's uncomfortable, how are we going to impact the world? Because there is no promise that you can impact the world within your comfort zone. In fact, the world you want to impact lives outside of your comfort zone. All right, let's think about this. Social justice is about creating kingdom space in the here and now and giving witness to the ultimate just society yet to come. So we fight for justice because the Bible says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? We know that in heaven, nobody is being oppressed because of the color of their skin. Nobody's being oppressed because they don't have as much money. There is no oppression in heaven. So then it's our job to do everything we can to bring as much of heaven to earth as we can. Does that make sense? So that's our job. So what we should never be seen as as the believers who say this, Oh, I just wish Jesus would hurry up and come back. The Bible says Jesus is not coming back for some broke-down, beat-up church that's hiding in the wine press. He is coming back for a church that is standing up and saying, listen, we represent Jesus, and we don't represent Jesus because we're yelling and screaming at people who are different from us. That is not the representation of Jesus. Can you imagine if if some of us had met the woman at the well? She wouldn't be saved today. She'd have never went back. People would talked about, some of the church people would have talked about the women, woman at the well so bad she'd have threw herself down in it. But that's not what Jesus did to her. He so impacted her life that she went back and began to impact where she was. So we, so every time we use our voice and our influence to get in the way of injustice, whether it's human trafficking, economic exploitation, human rights abuses, or infants dying needlessly from disease or malnutrition, we provide a foretaste of the kingdom of God every kid we feed, everybody we get supplies for, every time we help a woman get out of an abusive situation, every time we help with human trafficking, all of that stuff, we are providing a taste of the kingdom. So you know who ought to be leading those efforts or at least strongly partnering with those efforts? We should. But we can't do that if all our dreams are just about us. So... I pray that as fellow Christians, we can re-envision God's call for social justice, which is rooted in scripture and faith, and then we can recommit to advancing social justice, not as an extracurricular or optional part of our faith, but as an imperative.